Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King and Andy Isco as we go against the spread on this NCAA tournament final four weekend, which will also coincide with our final podcast of the season. Don't worry. We'll be back in July when the Playbook Football Preview Guide newsletter hits the newsstands and we'll be ripe and ready to talk about football come July. But today, our focus will be primarily on the final four matchups, and we've also got a featured NBA Game of the Week on tap to talk about as well. With that, I want to welcome in our co-host, Victor King from King Creole Sports. Victor, how are you doing this final four weekend? Pretty good, Mark. I am looking forward to the weekend action as far as the final four goes. You know, we're not used to... uh... We're not used to college basketball down here in South Florida in the month of April, are we? But in fact, we've got uh, two of our teams down here, uh, the Owls from Florida Atlantic and the Miami Hurricanes as well. Extremely surprising that the state of Florida is well represented in the Final Four the first time in over 50 years from what I've researched that in the Final Four, two teams from the same state uh, are in the final four and uh, the bankroll is looking pretty good as we head into the weekend following the Mark Lawrence plays. Let me see here in the uh, sweet 16 and elite eight rounds. I see Mark went four and one over the weekend that Thursday through Sunday period. And of course, uh, topped it off with the five-star tournament game of the year winner on, again, the Miami, Florida Hurricanes on Sunday. Nicely done, Mark. I'm looking forward to who you like over the weekend. And, of course, I don't know what's hotter down here in South Florida, the weather or the fact that we're playing college basketball in April. Yeah, it's unbelievable, Victor. Uh, College basketball in April down here in South Florida. Andy, how's the weather in Las Vegas these days? I know it's not quite summertime temperatures, but with the NCAA Final Four weekend here, I'm sure things are heating up in Vegas. Well, yes, Mark, it's been chilly and windy as it's been for the last uh, few weeks since we got into the uh, middle part of conference play. But uh, aside from the weather weather, uh, the uh, temperatures are extremely hot because not only are we at Final Four weekend, but and we had a successful Western Regional here that uh, Connecticut won this past weekend. Now at one of the uh, smaller venues at the Orleans, uh, we've got the NIT semifinals on Tuesday night. And uh, then uh, on Thursday night, we're doing this on Wednesday. So tomorrow we will see the finals of the NIT between Alabama, Birmingham, and North Texas. So that is uh, three teams of the final eight teams playing for a championship actually now the final six teams because the semifinals are gone gives you a little bit of an indication of how strong conference usa uh, has been this year so not uh, it's a surprise that florida atlantic has made it when you consider the size of the school and the quality the historic quality of the program but then when you take a look that the nit is between two uh teams also who played in conference usa and had successful seasons maybe that says a little bit more about the uh, 
the selection committee itself as far as uh, getting things right and maybe not giving enough respect to some of the mid-majors. Of course, it could also be just a one-time thing. I have to go back to 1979 when you had uh, four relatively minor, uh, three of the four teams, well, two of the four teams absolutely minor in 79, Pennsylvania from the Ivy League. And I want to say uh, DePaul may have still been an independent at that at that time. You had Indiana State from the Missouri Valley. Those were three of the four teams. And, of course, the tournament was won by the fourth team, the big power, Michigan State. So Miami of Florida, somewhere in the middle here, but certainly San Diego State and Florida Atlantic would qualify as uh, uh, smaller conference teams. And then, of course, uh, Connecticut, not only the big guy, Connecticut has been just outstanding all season, if I recall correctly. They did not lose a game outside of the Big East Conference. And they've had, what, four national titles since, uh, what was it, like 1999, looking to add a, uh, a fifth. So a very intriguing uh, Final Four matchup that should, A, draw a lot of interest because of all the intrigue, and B, even without the big name, with three uh, big name programs in there, without that, tremendous handle expected here in Las Vegas. Well, I might have known, Andy, if we were on Jeopardy and we were talking about basketball here, and the question came, was posed about an and a team from the Ivy League that played in the NCAA Finals, you would know it's Penn because you are an alum of Pennsylvania. So that might have that been... That is a... correct. And by the way, you know the Final Four team that made it just be, be, be previous to Penn? Who was that? That was a team that had a, a, a senator in the U.S. Uh, Congress, uh, Bill, Bill Bradley's Bradley? Princeton. Princeton. Yes, yeah. nice. They lost in the Final Four, did not make it to the Finals. I think that was the 1965 tournament. Kazzy Russell. Another great name from years past for Michigan in that same Final Four. And a Cleveland Cavalier as well. Yes. Exactly right. He was a Cavs' number one draft pick. Let's do a quick review, guys. Uh, before I think Cassio was with the Knicks. Well, he played with the Cavaliers also. Yeah, he may have played uh, later in his career. Later in his career, yeah. Yes. He was part of that great Knicks team of, because uh, I remember I grew up a Knicks fan, with uh, Bill Bradley, Dave DePusher, Willis Reed, who sadly just passed away. And... Uh, uh, people, he, he went to Grambling when Grambling was not really known as a very small school, historically black university, what they call them now. But th- that was the, they played in the SWAC and uh, Willis Reed went there. He also coached Creighton uh, for a number of years. Well, a lot of overlap of teams we're talking about that are playing still in the NCAA basketball tournament. Before we get over to our NBA game of the week, I know it's primarily a Final Four weekend show. We're going to be doing an NBA game of the week. We're going to also have a special guest on the show for horse racing fans out there. And I'm one. Our producer, Greg De Palma, is one as well. And I know a lot of our listeners and viewers out there as well. John Hardoon is going to join us on the show a little bit later on. John Hardoon, if you know the Ragas and Sheets, the Ragas and Sheets are the most respected handicapping horse racing sheets in the country. And he's the man you go to when it comes to Ragas and Sheets handicapping. John's going to join us on the show. We're going to do a little bit of a mini preview of the Florida Derby. And you'll be able to follow that up with John and Greg DePalma when they do their show this particular week. So that's coming on just a little bit down the road here in the show. Let's take a look now, guys, in a little bit of a brief review of the NCAA basketball tournament so far. And I keep hitting on this, what the NCAA did when they when they sent out their 16 teams two weeks before the tournament began. And none of those 16 teams made it to the Final Four this year. In fact, our Playbook Elite Eight Element teams that have predicted the winner in 19 of the last 20 NCAA tournaments, we had six teams this year. None of them have made the tournament this year. That's- However, Mark, if I recall, the one out of the 20 is represented. Yes, it is. That's UConn. And it could be still the one team 
uh, that does just that. But it was UConn that we'll have, uh, we'll have done it. We'll have done it twice if they win, by the way. Exactly nine years ago. So they they were the spoiler, if you will, in that sense. Taking a look at the conferences that were represented in the NCAA tournament here this year, the Big Ten had ten teams. They have none. Southeast Conference had eight teams. They have none. The Big Twelve had seven teams. They have none. The ACC had five teams. They got one left. The Big East has one left. The Mountain West has one left. And nobody from the Pac-12. That's sort of how this whole tournament shook out. And before I turn it over to you guys here, uh, I, I like to dig deep into these numbers. And I, I see what the NCAA tournament does when they, they rely so heavily on their net rankings. And that's primarily how these teams make the tournament, those teams that fared the best in the net rankings. And uh, these are the rankings of the Four teams that have made it to the Final Four in the current net rankings as, as done by the NCAA. Number one team in the current net rankings, Connecticut. Ten and six against quad one teams. Ten wins, six losses against quad one teams. Seven and one against quad two wins. They have seven and one record in quad two games. Number two, Florida Atlantic, five and one with in quad one games, Four and two in quad two games. Number three, San Diego State, seven and five, and eight and one in quad two games. In Miami, surprisingly, number four, and I can't figure this out, Victor. Here, here's Miami, number four, in the quad net rankings, eight and five in quad one games, seven and zero in quad two games. Yet they rank behind San Diego State. Now I know. The, it's not all just how they did against the quad ones and the quad twos, but I just found it a little bit interesting to find Miami ranked below San Diego State in these net rankings. How do you take the net rankings into effect, Victor, when you're approaching these tournament games? Uh, they're definitely uh, something that's in our arsenal as we head into the Final Four weekend, and I'm a little bit perplexed by that as well, Mark. You know, um, uh, we we mentioned Conference USA, and not only has it been a, you know, fantastic postseason for Conference USA. I mean, for God's sakes, we got two uh, teams from that conference playing in the NIT tournament. Andy just mentioned both UAB and North Texas, a team that, Mark, you've profited on a couple of times already in the NIT tournament. So not only that, not only the fact that Florida Atlantic is a Conference USA team, but the fact that the winner of the CBI tournament also came from Conference USA, the Charlotte 49ers. What a heck of a postseason for that particular conference. Uh, you mentioned the Big East. They went 9-4 and four ATS thus far in the tournament. ACC 7-4 and four ATS. So those two conferences, along with Conference USA at 3-1 and one ATS, easily the most profitable conferences thus far. Our dogs in the NCAA tournament overall 33-30-1 ATS. They made a really nice comeback for underdogs in the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 rounds over the last four days from last Thursday to last Sunday. Dogs went 8-4 and four in ATS. And Mark and uh, Andy, as we've talked about over a couple of a podcast now, the season has been a roller coaster in terms of over-unders. You know, in January, overs in college basketball went 55%. They went 56% in February. Then basically everything started crashing downwards in the conference tournaments as unders went 55% in all the conference tournaments overall. And, of course, as we talked about in the NCAA tournament, the play-in and the first two rounds, if you remember, they went 75% 
under the total, nine overs, 27 unders. But again, they rebounded last weekend, that roller coaster chugging back up the hill again in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games. Overs went uh, eight and four over under last weekend, 67% over the total. Again, it's been a roller coaster in terms of over unders. We'll see what happens with what one, three more games left in the season. Good update, Victor, especially as far as those over-unders go in the college basketball tournament thus far. And kudos again, as Andy mentioned, you mentioned, to the Conference USA on the great success they had this basketball season here. One other quick point I want to bring up before I turn it over to Andy here. Taking a look at the uh, at the two most revered, I would say, power-ranking people in the business, Ken Palm and Jeff Sagarin and their rankings and ratings as they are coming into this final four weekend. The Ken Palm rankings are basically his rankings of what he calls adjusted efficiency margins. Uh, and the way he ranks these four teams overall now, the rankings he gave you before when they listed the four teams, they're not, they're not for the rankings of the four teams that were in the tournament. These are the, the overall Ken Palm rankings of the teams that are left in the tournament. Number one on his overall adjusted efficiency margin team is Connecticut. You got them at plus 28.95. The number... San Diego State is the second best team, ranked number 14 overall at plus 20.84. Florida Atlantic, number 17 overall in the nation at plus 19.42. And Miami of Florida, number 22 overall at plus 18.23. So the Ken Palm rankings have Connecticut, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, and Miami of Florida anywhere from number one to number 22. The Jeff Sagarin rankings, which are used – it's a much truer line when the odds makers are putting their odds out. And Andy, I'm going to pose this question when I wrap this up about Sagarin here, because I truly insist that all of these lines are basically based on the Jeff Sagarin power ratings. They weren't off by a point on uh, almost any set of games throughout any set of rounds. But the Jeff Sagarin rankings uh, coming into this Final Four weekend, number one team in his rankings in the country, UConn, 94.37. Number 15, San Diego State. 87.43. Number 16, Miami of Florida at 87.84. And number 31, Florida Atlantic at 84.92. So if you took his power rankings and you had Connecticut at 94.37 and you had Miami of Florida at 87.84, you've got a difference of six and a half points between those power ranking numbers. And but if you've got a line far in the game, five and a half, and it'll likely be six. Andy, is, do you feel that the Vegas odds makers settle in on these Sagarin ratings and rely on them uh, a lot more than the, than the public realizes? That's my question to you. I've actually looked throughout the season, not every day, but every few days, at some of the key games that are being played on that night's schedules, and I'll look at both Sagarin and I'll look at Ken Palm as well. Ken Palm does a pretty good job as well as coming within a point to a point and a half many times of the uh, projected line. Now, I, I'd like to focus on, on what you mentioned about their ratings, and the committee, I think, relies, uh, well, you mentioned the net, and the pro problem that I have with the net is that the way you get a good net is playing more games against quad A teams, and if you're one of the teams like a Florida Atlantic, you're going to not have that many opportunities against quad A teams. I'm not exactly positive on how you get to be a quad A team. I know how the various quads go into the determination of the net because they look at home wins, road wins, etc. I'm wondering exactly how they 
to get a team into B, uh, a quad A versus a quad B, uh, as far as the competition that you play. One of the, it was one of the adjustments to the old RPI, and the RPI was a way to, uh, and several conferences were able to manipulate the RPI because that was based upon opponents' winning percentage and opponents' opponents' winning percentage. Well, if you're one of these teams in the uh, Big Ten that's going to schedule sometimes a lot of these weaker schools all 14 members, you're going to have a huge overall winning percentage. Uh, that is huge, like 95%, because most of those games are going to be against teams that you play at home. And as a result of having such a high opponent's winning percentage, when the Big Ten plays another Big Ten team, they're going to be playing another team that also has those same uh, that same profile. And I think the, the uh, adjustment to net I tried to adjust it, but I, I but I think it's still somewhat similar in concept. So that's why the fact that you've got a team like Florida Atlantic ranked as high overall in both Sagarin and uh, Ken Palm as they are attests to the fact that they had other teams in that conference that did extremely well. We mentioned about the other the the, uh, the two finalists in the NIT and the CBI with Charlotte. I'll be interested to see when both of these gentlemen come up with their final post NCAA championship game. Uh, rankings or, or ratings, how Conference USA and specifically the four finalist teams in that conference move up in the starts. I've had Florida Atlantic uh, rated highly all year because of the fact that they were beating everybody and they were beating decent teams. Not quite as high as uh, perhaps uh, the uh, Sagarin ratings, but I had them uh, up there near the top. In fact, when I did my rankings for the 68-team field, I had Florida Atlantic on just purely a numbers basis, getting into the Elite Eight. Really nice. Wow. Powerful. That's good. And, and by the way, Conference USA, aside from Florida Atlantic, Conference USA has borne out the high ranking that I have and Ken Palm and uh, uh, Jeff Sagarin have for Florida Atlantic because of the performance of those other three teams. So it's something that I think the committee, uh, I'd, you know, we have a two-hour discussion on this because I'd like to see the committee also factor in the performance of conferences, say, over the previous five years. Because keep in mind, the selections, you can base it on numbers, but it's still opinion. How much emphasis do you play on fa- place on one factor versus another factor versus another factor? And clearly, the Big Ten, I'm, just, I'm not trying to knock them, even though I was down on them this year, but because they have so many teams that get these high numbers, they say, well, an 8-8 eight and eight team in the Big Ten is better than 15 of the small conferences uh, conference champion. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but we'll never find out until we get more of these uh, mid and small major teams have more representation. One other last point on the way the committee does things. I'd like to see every team that gets an automatic quali- qualifier bid because they win their conference tournament not have to play in the play-in games. They should automatically make it into the 64-team field, and the play-in game should be maybe amongst, let's see, we've got uh, four games, so that's eight teams. Maybe the final eight large teams, eight large teams. You know, Right now they do uh, four teams with a 16 seed who are always automatic qualifiers and four teams with a number 11 seed who are arguably the final four in. I'd like to make it the final eight and reward the teams from the smaller conferences to get into the big field. The other hand, of course, and the, the 16 seeds might argue, hey, we get money. Whichever one of those, whichever two of those four teams win the 16 games, they get a nice uh, share of the overall revenue. So maybe they're happy being in the play-in game. Couldn't agree more with you, Andy. I think you're spot on with that observation here. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread 
the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And while our first segment, I can assure you, was not sponsored by Conference USA, they just <laughs> earned their kudos. We're going to shift gears here for the moment, guys, and we're going to feature our NBA game of the week going this Sunday. Then we're going to come right back around Andy, Victor, and I, and we're going to roundtable about these four teams and tell you a little bit of insight that you need to know that perhaps you didn't here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. So with that, Victor, let's talk about our NBA game of the week. Andy, you can join in anytime you want to join in. We're going to tear down the Golden State Warriors traveling to Denver Sunday night. This will be a really big basketball game. I'm sure it'll have a lot of eyeballs on television come Sunday. Two teams that are really deeply involved in the playoffs, the Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. Victor, how do you see the up and down going in this game? Right. You know, the NBA, uh, we've got a little bit of an unbalanced schedule of this weekend as they work their way around the college basketball games. I mean, Friday's schedule, 13 games in the NBA. Saturday, only two games as the focus, of course, is on college basketball on Saturday. And then the NBA comes right back on Sunday with another full 13-game slate, the last of which is that Golden State-Denver game. It'll be in the Mile High City again Sunday evening. Uh, Tip-off, what, about 8.40 Eastern time, the Warriors and Denver. Now, uh, as far as Golden State goes, it's pretty much a no-brainer if you want to follow this season's uh, ATS and OU patterns, and that is we usually bet on the Warriors at home and on the under at home. And we usually bet against the Warriors, one of the worst road records in the NBA this season. I'm sure Mark will have more to say about that, but also a very, very good over team on the road. And let me take a look at the series here real quick. Four out of the last five in this series have gone over the total between the Nuggets and the Warriors with a nice high average, 241.0 combined points per game. They've played each other twice already this season, the Nuggets and the Warriors. Uh, Interestingly enough, both games finished exactly on 251 points, and of course, both went over the total. Uh, In late October, Denver won 128-123 to uh, against the Warriors, and then they played each other again in early February, and Denver blasted the Warriors in that game, 134-117. to Again, interesting that both games finished exactly at 251 points. You could tell which way we are leaning. That is for sure. Again, I mentioned Gold State, a very good home under team this season at 12-24-2, 12 overs, 24 unders, number three under team. But the number one road over team in the league this season is, in fact, the Warriors. In their 38 road games, 27 overs, only nine unders, two ties, 75% over the total, 241.4 combined points per game. Pretty much a no-brainer. Whenever Golden State takes to the road, we do decide to bet the over in these particular games. And I got a couple of Warrior trends. 6-1-1 over under this year versus greater than 600 conference opponents like the Nuggets. 14-2 14-2 and two over under on the road in a 1-1 rest situation. 9-3, 75% over the total. Their last 12 Sunday games. Now, the Nuggets, they're not like the Warriors because 
they've been pretty much a middle-of-the-road team, whether they're at home or on the road. In fact, Denver's gone 17-20 and 20 over-under on the road this year and 17-20 and 20 over-under at home this year, about 231 combined points per game. What I do like about them is they've been a very good over team on Sundays, 27-10 and 10 to the over in the last five years, Sunday home games for the Nuggets, including 11-2 and two in the last two seasons. They are 5-1 at home, playing with double revenge. And, of course, I'm sorry, versus double revenge as they have beaten the Warriors each of the last two. Here's our clincher. And, yes, we will be going over the total in this game. In the last three months, Sunday, home favorites in the NBA have gone 90% over the total when both teams are at 500 or better on the season. That is the case in this particular game as we play the Warriors and Nuggets over the total on Sunday night. Victor likes a lot of points in this basketball game Sunday night between the Warriors and the Nuggets. I'm going to share with you my look at the basketball game from a technical perspective with the angles and the trends, and then I'll turn it over to Andy Isco to see how he likes this game from a fundamental approach. Looking at the game technically coming into this contest here, Victor mentioned it. There's no team in the NBA that has more of a disparity in their home road dichotomy, obviously, than the Golden State Warriors. They're only 9-29 and 29 straight up as we're speaking on the road. That's the worst of all teams that are in the playoff race. And in fact, you can imagine this, only San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit have worse road records than do the Golden State Warriors. They really, really struggled, obviously, on the road. Just 11-27 and 27 to the number in those games, 25-12-1 and 1 to the number at home. And in fact, you look at them on the road since the 1st of February when the calendar changed, 2-11 and 11 straight up and 1-12 and 12 against the spread. They're, they are, however, to their credit coming in this basketball game, playing with double revenge from the same season. Same season double revenge when they're in that role in the series. They've been there the last five times. They've cashed all five times. They're also 3-1 and one to the spread away with same season revenge of 17 or more points inside the series. Look at the Denver Nuggets, the number one team, number one seed in the West. They have a three-game lead atop Memphis. They're probably a little bit less in need of a win here than perhaps arguably Golden State, because if Golden State takes a look in the rearview mirror, they see they're only two losses away from being in the 11th spot and not making the playoffs here. Those, this game becomes vitally important to the Golden State Nuggets. I mean, I'm sorry, the Golden State Warriors coming to this contest here. The Nuggets are the number one seed because of their home record here, 32-6. and six. It's second only to Memphis in the NBA this year at 33-5. and five. But you look at what Denver does when they play this year against teams that are doing what Golden State comes in wanting, that same season double revenge chip on their shoulder. They've been in five of those games that Denver Nuggets have. They've only won one game straight up and against the spread in that particular role. Also, like I mentioned here, with the uh, Warriors, 7-2 and two to the spread now as road dogs with same-season double revenge the last 10 years. I'm going to kind of fade these trends and look at this double revenge ship on the Golden State Warriors when they come into this basketball game. I think they come in here playing as good and hard as they possibly can. It's all about the situation, guys, not so much the trends. And if you can make the trends fit the situation, you can feel comfortable about it. You can't do that here. You can make cases on opposite sides. So my small lean in this game is to the Golden State Warriors. Andy, how do you see this game matching up from a fundamental aspect? Well, I tend to look at this game fundamentally in similar to the way that you looked at it. Uh, two things, of course. 
A, you want to know who's what the, what the line is in the game, and B, you also want to know who's going to be sitting out, if anyone, in that game. Uh, both teams are relatively healthy, but there are some key injuries. A Jokic for Denver uh, is out, and he's listed as game-to-game game right now, and so we're talking just a few days away. And uh, Iguodala out for the uh, uh, the Warriors. So the, the key players, the better key players on each team, that edge goes to the uh, the Warriors with Thompson and, and Curry and uh, the supporting cast. Uh, but you mentioned, I think, one of the key factors. Uh, the, these teams only have seven or eight games remaining in the regular season. Right now, Denver, 51-24, and 24, leads uh, uh, Memphis by three games for the top seed. So there's a little wiggle room in those eight games for Denver to uh, suffer uh, a bit of a, uh, of a loss. Uh, by the way, it looks as though unless Milwaukee wins, I think five of their last uh, seven games, it is no team in the NBA will win 60 games this year, which is uh, unusual. There's usually at least one, maybe a little more. I know Victor's talked about it before with the, uh, uh, maybe both of you have, as far as the number of teams that are not playing 750 or 700, even 650 uh, basketball this year. And then you mentioned, Mark, the important part for Golden State. Yeah, they're six right now and they're in. Uh, they're actually one loss behind, but tied in the win column with the Clippers and uh, two games difference with 40 wins also against Phoenix. So they could go up as high as four, but more importantly, they want to avoid that number seven or lower. You mentioned the two losses behind number 11. Well, that means they're uh, less than two losses behind the number seven, eight, and nine. Uh, they're also two losses behind Oklahoma City, who currently sits 10th. So I think the fundamentals favor a healthier roster uh, for the uh, Warriors, a greater need for the Warriors versus any need really for Denver. They're like, it, it's going to be tough for uh uh, for Memphis to make up three games with only, uh, let me see, they have uh, they have also seven games remaining. Uh, 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 Denver also seven games remaining. So it'll be a little bit more difficult, which allows Denver, by the way, once they do so up the number one seed to rest some players. So I agree, provided the numbers is right, I'll be interested to see because I could, I could make a case with all this being said, games comes very close to a pick em because of the need for Golden State and Denver offset. By Denver's outstanding uh, record at home. And as far as the total goes, I have to agree with Victor. The only way I could look at this one is over, although I would be a little bit concerned if Jokic does not play. Andy Isco leaning to the Golden State Warriors fundamentally with perhaps a little bit more need in this game as well. So there you have it, guys. It's our take on the Denver-Golden State big matchup on Sunday here on Mark Lawrence against the spread. And that's our view, guys, in that big showdown game Sunday between Denver and Golden State. Let's go back to the Final Four weekend this weekend, as we promised you earlier on in the show, with our Vegas Vibe segment here with Andy Isco. Love having Andy on the show here, as we always do each and every week throughout our podcasts. Now we're going to take a look at what each team brings to the table inside these basketball games, how the teams can win the game, perhaps how the teams can lose the basketball game. I'll start it out first, and then I'll hand it off to Victor, and then we'll go to Andy, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up that way. And what I'm going to start with first here, guys, is my observation here on uh, what I think has really affected the teams the most coming into this Final Four weekend. We have this featured in our win report. It's on the playbooksports.com website. Just click on the win report, and you'll read all about this, and this is all about the benefits of the transfer portal and how these teams have really, really got to where they are, a lot of the reasons being because of what they did in the transfer portal here. Florida Atlantic comes into this basketball weekend with five transfer 
portal people. Three of them were starters. A big 7-1 center, Vladislav Golden, came from Texas Tech. Brian Greenlee from Minnesota and Jalen Gaffney from Connecticut. This team from Florida Atlantic was 11-1 and against the spread in their last 12 non-conference games. They're really led by John L. Davis. If you take a look at what John L. Davis has done of late, it's like money in the bank when he's at the free throw line. He's 37 of 41 in post-conference games and the NCAA tournament heading into this particular weekend. Take a look over at the San Diego State side of things. They they welcomed five transfers into this basketball team this year, including Matt Bradley. He's their leading scorer. He comes from California. Darian Trammell from Seattle. He made the all-conference team in the WAC conference before he transferred over here. He's second in the team in minutes played and also in scoring. For the UConn Huskies, they have four transfers on this basketball team, including their starting point guard, Tristan Newton. He came over from East Carolina. He leads the team with steals and assists, and he's averaging 10.1 points per game. But here comes the beauty, guys, and I'm saying the beauty because this is the reason I'm going to tell you why uh, these teams are doing what they're doing as far as not only the transfer protocols but with the NIL, and that's the Miami Hurricanes. They have three starters on this basketball team that were all that transferred in, Jordan Miller, Norchad Omier, and Nigel Pack. Pack signed an $800,000 NIL deal to come here to the University of Miami, and they also got a car in the deal. Isaiah Wong, also a starter in this basketball team, signed a $600,000 deal to stay at Miami rather than transferring out. And they've got a power forward here in Norchad Omier, who got an NIL deal worth $165,000. If you ask anybody about what the NIL deals mean to anybody, you can put Jim Laranega right at the top of the list of absolutely loving the NIL because it's what put Miami into the position that they're in here right now. This team is really, really deeply talented. They bring a lot of experience to the table here. That, guys, is my view on these four basketball teams as they come in this weekend. Victor, what's your take on these teams? Well, Mark, uh, in the first game, the uh, Florida Atlantic-San Diego State game, I got a couple of comments, and uh, I haven't decided yet whether we're going to be going uh, full game under or first half under or maybe even both, uh, first half under and full game under. Uh, But there are two key stats that, for me, stick out in this uh, first game on the uh, Saturday slate, and the fact that both San Diego State and the Owls of Florida Atlantic, they play a a defensive drop style that basically allows opponents to walk the ball up the court. And I would not be surprised when the full 30-second clock shock winds down during offensive possessions. We could very well see clock winding all the way down to zero and the other team taking over. Uh, Both the Aztecs and the Owls, they rank 345th and 280th in average defensive possession length, uh, respectively. Uh, The Aztecs, they source their points usually from the paint and the free throw line. And the great thing about that is it flies directly into a Florida Atlantic defense that ranks 15th in the country nationally in effective field goal percentage and also top 50 in defensive free throw rate. Uh, there's been a lot of excitement down here around head coach Dusty May and the fact that we know his offense revolves around the um, uh, propensity to hit the three-point shots 
in transition play. Uh, although San Diego State did not see many of the off-the-dribble triples in Mountain West play, they are ranked seventh nationally, again, in defending this type of three-point shot. So I, I think there'll be plenty of variables, particularly in the first half of this game, from Florida Atlantic hoisting shots from deep, deep, deep to San Diego State's very sluggish offensive place. You do realize the Aztecs now in their last 15 games, one over, 15 unders. And in wow. fact, their last 12 games have all gone under the total, the Aztecs, as they have reverted back to that fantastic defense that we're used to seeing in the last three or four seasons. So with few uh, quick putbacks expect expected, a slower pace, no intentional fouling in the first half, I think we're better off playing under 62. It might even be 61 in the first half than the full game under 129. And that's the way I'm going to be looking is the first half under the total between these two teams. Great information from Victor King, especially about San Diego State, Andy, before I turn it over to you. I remember reading about San Diego State and uh, how good this basketball team actually was in the year the NCAA tournament was canceled. They were a 30-win team and looked to be a number one seed. And then the tournament got canceled here. And they still got a few players from that roster on this particular roster here. So these numbers that they're putting up here aren't a fluke by any means. They are indeed a really rock-solid basketball team. With that, Andy, your take on the good and the bad side of each of these basketball teams coming in. Andy, you're on mute. I was, yeah, I'm just turning down the uh, phone from ringing here. Uh, apologies for that. I've been on Florida Atlantic most of the year. I spotted them early in the year. I liked, even though the fact that they had all those transfers coming in, they were still experienced players. And we've seen Florida Atlantic win comfortable games, but we've also seen Florida Atlantic come from behind to win games. So they've been able to play with the lead, and they've been able to play from behind, uh, which is necessary. San Diego State... Uh, I wasn't quite as high on this year as I have been in the past, but maybe that was a reflection of my entire impression of the Mountain West, which had lost something like uh, four games uh, when they had four teams in the last time and the previous time. So San Diego State finally got a win. The other three teams were all eliminated early. Uh, Nevada eliminated in the uh, play-in game and then... Uh, uh, Utah State and Boise State eliminated in their opening round. So San Diego State has proven itself, as they've been for the better part of the last decade, clearly the best team in the uh, uh, in the Mountain West. And I agree with what Victor uh, said, and I'll, I'll just phrase it a little uh, differently. I don't think the game goes under. I think the game stays under. It starts under, stays under until it goes over, and I don't see that happening in this game. I agree with the first half, but I could also see a case being made for the uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Full game as well, and I think the common thread for all four of these teams is they all have uh, excellent uh, uh, guard play. As far as that, uh, uh, what I'm looking at in that uh, San Diego State uh, Florida Atlantic game, I can only play Florida Atlantic or pass the game. Uh, I've, like I say, they've ranked high in my numbers all season. Uh, their play was further validated, not just by their own upsets, but by the aforementioned other three Conference USA teams who find themselves still uh, playing, although Char Charlotte's already won the uh, CBI. Uh, so what I'm suggesting here is that maybe Conference USA overall was a better team 
uh, a better conference, and Florida Atlantic within its conference played tougher teams. A lot of the uh, teams that have the good records in the Mountain West did so as a result of their pre-conference play, and then the teams sort of went into a pecking order that uh, uh, suggested more bad teams than good teams in the uh, Mountain West. Um, would you like, Mark, for me to go with the uh, Sunday game, or would we do it in the uh, rotation order of you, Victor, and me? Uh, well, if you could take the Sunday game, that's good, because what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the show after we go to John Hardone, and I'm going back and I'm going to ask you and Victor what your complimentary picks in the show will be. So if you want to go to the Sunday game, that would be terrific. Sure. Uh, uh, Miami and UConn. Uh, what UConn has done this season is amazing. They started out 14-0, and and then went with a, a period of time in midseason where they lost five out of six games before winning just about, I think they're 9-1 and one in their last 10 uh, to uh, end the season and into the tournament. All four of their tournament wins have been by 15 points or more. And in fact, they have yet to lose uh, a game at all this season to a team other than one of the uh, eight rivals that they uh, lost to in the in Big East conference places. They had a rather mediocre record in Big East play, but they defeated everybody they faced in non-conference play. Uh, on the other hand, we've seen Miami, and they've had some pretty good experience in recent years under Laranega going deep into the tournament. So that is certainly a plus. And I think another plus, well, Miami can also put points on the board. Uh, they can also uh, come from behind as well as play with the lead as they did against Indiana and Houston, coming from behind against uh, Drake and Texas to win those games in the, corner, in the uh, tournament. Meanwhile, Connecticut has not been involved in a close game at all this year where they were tested for even a few minutes in the uh, second half, and most of their games were pretty much decided at uh, halftime. So Miami has shown itself to be capable with the uh, ability to play and win close games, whereas Connecticut has yet to be tested. So that may actually work in favor of Miami because if Connecticut is faced with a, a competitive game, say with five minutes to go, we don't know how they will respond. So not sure what I'm going to do yet in that game, although I, you know, I, I want to take Miami, but I still have to respect what Connecticut has done in blowing out this field. Now, they were the highest side. They are the highest seed remaining, although their number four seed, uh, not that much different really from a number five seed, because really when you think about it, if a four seed win its opening game and a five seed win its, its opening game, they'll, they, will, uh, uh, they will face one another. And then in the Sweet 16, they'll, if they're not around, as was the case this year, uh, they will have to face the number one seed. So all four of these, or both of those teams, since we're talking about that game, have achieved a lot from the number four and number five seed uh, position. So I think this game will come down to, will Miami be able to force Connecticut into a game that allows them to stay competitive? Both of these teams have plenty of offense. I feel a lot more comfortable with uh, Connecticut's uh, uh, defensive ability. So it's almost a situation where if you like Connecticut laying the points, maybe you look towards the over. I'm not so sure you can say that, however, about Miami. If you like Miami looking towards the under, because I think if Miami wins, it'll probably be a high scoring game. Whether they cover or not, I'm not sure. If Connecticut, if it's a low scoring game, I would think there might be a better chance because of the difference in defenses that Connecticut would still be able to cover that number. 
I hear just what you're saying, Andy. Usually in uh, in handicapping circumstances, uh, if you're backing an underdog, you also like the under in the game. Uh, if you like the favorite, you like the over in the game. But if you like Miami in this game, it's difficult to like the under as well because of their style of play. So Andy hit it, nailed it right on the head with his observation between those two basketball teams. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And before we join our good friend John Hardoon with a little talk about the Florida Derby coming up this weekend, Let's check out what our good friend Jim Feist in Las Vegas has to say this particular weekend. Jim, on our last couple of shows, has been live. He pre-recorded the show this week. He mentioned his last show he was a little bit cold. Well, guess what, guys? Cold turned to hot because Jim Feist has been on a major winning run here since our last show. I'll let Jim tell you all about that and his taken view on not only the Final Four weekend games, but Major League Baseball coming up. Jim, take it away, if you will. Good morning, everybody. Well... It's the final four time. We've got four teams. Yes, that's what that means. But the most surprising thing I think we should talk about a little bit is Conference USA. Conference USA Charlotte won the CBI tournament. We have two teams from Conference USA in the NIT final. So we know Conference USA will win that tournament. And we have one remaining team in the tournaments in the Final Four, which is Florida Atlantic. So what happened to the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Big 10? Yes, we have one from the Big East, Connecticut, doing a great job so far. But the people that make these selections of who goes where and what the seating is and everything. They don't know what the hell they're doing. It's all politics. The best teams are not necessarily the teams you think they are when they go in here. Did you know that the Conference USA was 5-1 and one against the SEC? Number one team in the country at the time was Alabama from the SEC. So... Do your own work, make your own power ratings, and let's enjoy these games. Almost every game is close, comes down to the wire. And uh, I watched the NIT games the other night. It, it was one went into overtime. The other was Wisconsin didn't score for the final nine minutes of the game, which is absolutely incredibly bad coaching on their part. Now we start to wind down the NBA season and we're going to have the playoffs. Now, I don't really focus much on the regular season in the NBA because, uh, quite frankly, this load management stuff kind of gets me angry. Um, that players that make this kind of money can't get out there and do their job. Hey boss, I'm not coming in today. I'm not coming in this week, but you still want your paycheck, right? Well, times have changed. I understand and we're not gonna go backwards. We're not going back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. We are where we are. So we have to get used to it. But I love the playoffs because I know they're out there and they're playing every night. And it's kind of a one and done situation 
and uh, at least I get a full effort, and I do much better when teams are giving a full effort. So I'm looking forward to the NBA, and I have to talk about this. For the last four years, I've done extremely well in Major League Baseball. Knock on wood, I don't want to jinx myself, but last year I won 17000 just giving out, I think it was about plus 40 games. There's some juice in there, of course, when you're laying some small favorites. I don't usually lay favorites over 150, 160. I played a lot of run lines. Now, there are rule changes now in baseball, so we have to be aware of that. I have no idea why they increased the size of the plate, of the, the, the uh, bases, but the shot clock is going to speed the game up. And, of course, the non-shifting is going to make a big difference, especially power hitters that are normally gets ground balls to these shifted defenses are now going to find some ways out into singles. So I'm sort of thinking we're going to get higher scoring games. Now let's look at the pitching staff. 15 seconds. Some players, some pitchers take a long time between pitches. I think the I think the starters will adjust better than the relievers will. And the way I say that is starters pitch. They have a multitude of pitches usually, and they're crafty. The spot pitches, etc. And they will find a way to adjust better than the relievers, at least initially. And the reason I say that is a lot of the relievers throw the ball 100, 98, 99, 100, 102. And they throw the pitch and then they walk around the mound, take a little time. That's not going to work when you have a 15-second clock. So I'm a little nervous about that change and how it's going to affect end of game. So I'm going to watch that for about a month and see what's going on and make adjustments from there. So one of my plans, run lines, first five, first five game bets, and I'm looking for more scoring as well because of the shift, Half because time. the batting averages will go up as a result of that. And the batting averages should go up as a result of the 15-second clock because that's not what baseball has been. So there's going to be an adjustment period. So I'm looking for all of that, and I'm looking forward to um, – Having a very profitable season, but I'm going to go slow in the beginning because of these changes. There are other sports to bet. Doing quite well with my tennis bets. I've never played tennis, <laughs> but then again, I never played football either. Um, and But tennis is very predictable. It's one-on-one, -on -one, one player against the other. Uh, there's not a lot of factors to consider except for the talent and the momentum of that player. So it has been very effective, and I look forward to that as well. Golf is another story we'll talk about another time. I've enjoyed doing these podcasts this year. I look forward to doing them again 
next year. And I hope all of you have a great summer, spring, whatever, and we'll see you again in the fall. Thanks, everybody, and good luck. Thanks, Jim. Lots of great information once again this week. Stay hot and enjoy the games this weekend. And with that, guys, I did an interview earlier with John Hardoon. We're going to talk about the, a preview of the Florida Derby here. John will do an in-depth analysis of the race with our producer Greg De Palma and Chad Summers in a day or so. You'll want to check that out. But meantime, let's see what John Hardoon has to say or think about the Florida Derby. And now we're visiting with John Hardoon, the man behind the legendary Raggas and Sheets. And for horse racing fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the Raggas and Sheets, the Bible of horse racing ratings and numbers. John, great to have you on the show this week. I know it's March Madness weekend. You're not a big basketball fan. I know you're a big horse racing fan, obviously, and it's the Florida Derby this weekend. I'm down here in Florida. I'm looking forward to it. And there's a big horse in the race here this weekend I want to talk to you about, and that is Forte. Let me ask you about Forte, John. He's going off as a four to five early money line favorite in the race, and it's not your style. I know that, and you're going to do a nice Florida Derby show with Chad Summers and Greg here in a day or so, and we'll get your preview on that particular race. But what's your take on a horse pulling up four to five that's an 11 post in the Florida Derby? Well, it's just, first of all, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your show with you. And uh, Forte is obviously the horse to beat. Listen, as far as all the numbers are concerned for these three-year-olds, it's Forte and then it's the rest of them. The rest of them you could basically throw a blanket over. They'll take chances beating each other each time they face each other. But Forte at this point is is ahead of the rest of them. He had six career starts. He's won five of them. So he's really done very little wrong. Breaking from the 11 post kind of makes it a more fair race because, you know, he's up against it breaking from that post. And it's not an easy thing to do. But he is that much better, I think, than the rest of them. And uh, what I would do in this situation is you take a horse that's a favorite and you hook him up with a couple of big prices underneath. We do that a lot of times on the show with Greg and Chad, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a short-priced horse, and we put some 20 and 30-to-one shots underneath, and you turned a 3-to-5 shot into a 15-to-one shot. So that's the way that I would attack a race like this. You know, again, breaking from the 11 post, not an easy thing to do. If you remember a few years ago, uh, Pletcher had a horse named Mo Donegal that yeah. drew the 12 post in the same race, and he ended up scratching because he got the 12 post. Uh, they didn't say it was the post position for the reason that he scratched the horse, but insiders knew that that was, that was the plan because Mo Donegal, while he was better than some of them, he wasn't that much better than the rest of them, and that's the case with Forte. So, you know, if you're looking to play Forte, you, you got to find some value and use some price horses underneath, and that's the way that I would attack the race. Let me ask you this, John. Forte's got 90 points on the Derby Road right now. He's already in the Florida Derby for all intents and purposes. In the Kentucky Derby. At Kentucky Derby, I'm sorry, yes. So would you see or envision any at all the possibility of Todd Pletcher not running this horse because he knows he's in the Kentucky Derby and just find a warm-up race between now and then? Well, there really aren't that many opportunities. The Derby's only uh, 36 days away, I believe, or 36 right. days away. So, you know, he'll, if he ends up not running him, he's just going to wait for the Derby.
But I think he's probably going to run him because he knows he's the best in this race. He really does. I mean, again, there are 12 horses in the race, so anything could happen. That's why they run the race. I think he's going to run, you know, the horse supposedly doing very well, training well and everything else. And he is only going to be making his second start of the year, his second start as a three-year-old. He had five races as a two-year-old and they were all good. And he came out as a three-year-old and he ran a new top. He ran an eight minus on the sheets last time out, which is a good number. He had an eight top as a two-year-old. You like to see the little improvements and that's what he's doing. He's inching forward and he's going to be primed for top effort come the first Saturday in May. Well, we talked about that white elephant in the room, John, about the fact that he is in that 11 hole. And I came across this fact that 24 races that had at least nine starters at Gulfstream that went a mile and an eighth on dirt in the last five years, those horses are 0 for 10. And if you take, take a look at the posts that are nine through 12, they're just two for 54. So that's going to be a little bit of a hurdle. And I know you're talking about if you're backing Forte, you're looking to put something underneath him, you know, to bring up some value in the race here. Does that post position scare you about backing Forte? It does. But when you look at stats, you have to know the odds on those, you know, nine horses that or whatever it is. Nine for what did you say? Nine for 52 or uh, coming in? Yes. Nine for 52. Yes. OK, so we don't know about the 43 other horses. They could have all been 20 to one. Judge. How many of them were favorites that got beat is the is the real question that you want to ask. I understand completely. Now you've got if you will, Todd Pletcher, who has really, really been uh, tremendous in his career, as we shared with you before we went on the air, $455 million in winnings, 52% of his horses have hit the board. That's incredible. But in his Florida Derby career, he's had six winners, but only two of his 62 starters have won the Kentucky Derby, those being super safer and always dreaming. Does he have a Kentucky Derby horse here in Forte? He definitely has a Kentucky Derby horse. I mean, you know, like you said, he's in already. I mean, unless uh, something happens physically or there's some sort of setback between now and and May, uh, the first Saturday, May, he, he'll be running and he will be the favorite come Saturday, come Derby Day. He will be the favorite, even if he gets beat Saturday. You know, I, I don't see him not being the favorite, but it, obviously... If he wins impressively, he's going to be a lot shorter price than if he doesn't win impressively because the Derby people are always looking, you know, to bet some sort of price. You're betting in a 20 horse field. It's tough to take a short price in a 20 horse field. Look at last year when Striker Rich won at 80 to one or whatever he was. He was the rank outsider. It does happen. And then a lot of times it happens on those days. As great as Pletcher is, and he is great. I don't know how many Derbies has he won. He puts a lot of money in the game. He's got a lot of money behind him. You know, I don't know if he's won the amount of derbies he should have won, considering, again, the, the investment that goes in. Look at Baffert. Baffert, no one's been better than Baffert in triple crown races. He trains specifically to win the derby, to win triple crowns. Everyone has their own style. Uh, Pletcher, not so much. He's more interested in just being consistent throughout the year. You know, he points for Florida. Uh, like Chad Brown, points for Saratoga. Certain trainers point for certain meets. And he's not big on winning triple crown races, I don't think. I mean, I'm sure he's won his share of them. But for the amount of money and the amount of good starters he has, I don't know if he's really lived up to the full potential. Just my opinion. <laughs> I'm sorry? Just my opinion. I'm not, you know. 
Uh, would it be safe to say then, uh, we're talking about Todd Pletcher, you mentioned Bob Baffert. Uh, I don't think there's much of a decision between which of the two trainers uh, is the tra trainer that's most credible, if you will. I don't remember Pletcher ever being in trouble. Has he, has he been suspended any at all throughout his career that you're aware of? Very few. He had one positive a couple of years ago at uh, Saratoga, but for the most part, he's as clean as they as they come. Clean as a whistle. I like that. I'm going to close it out with this, John, with you uh, talking about the f horses that have come out of the Florida Derby that went on to win a Triple Crown race. Uh, 20 of them have done that out of the Florida Derby to win a Triple Crown race. 14 the Kentucky Derby. They say arguably the best horse that won a Florida Derby that won a Kentucky Derby was Spectacular Bid in 1979. Some might say Nashua, Carryback, Holy Bull, or Northern Dancer. Which of those horses would you put in the top of the esteem list of those horses out of the Florida Derby that won the Kentucky Derby? Yeah, it's like comparing Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. You know, <laughs> when you get to the great ones, there's very little between them, to be honest with you. And you left another horse off of there, Big Brown, who at the time know. was as good as there was. And he broke, I think, from post 12 winning it. Monarcos, Monarcos won, I think, also from post 12. Uh, a few years after that. So, you know, you can't compare great ones to different eras, different times, different styles, different trainers. You know, it's I, I don't compare greats to greats because once you hit a certain plateau, that's it. You're in the group of greatness. But there will only be one secretary, John. <laughs> there will only be one secretary. That's true. Hey, thanks for joining me, John. I really appreciate that. If anybody's interested in what John offers here, the sheets, the Ragazin sheets, you can log on to his website at johnsheets.com, J-O-N-S-H-E-E-T-S, johnsheets.com, or you can email him at johnhardoon at rocketmail.com. You can pick up a daily multi-card special for as little as $40 for those fantastic Ragazin numbers here. Check it out at johnsheets.com. John, I'm going to look forward to your show that you do with Chad Summers and Greg this weekend for the Florida Derby and wish you nothing but the best of luck this weekend. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for letting me join you. I appreciate it, and I look forward to doing it again. Thank Likewise. you. And stay safe and be well. Likewise, same right back at you, John. Take care. Thanks so much, John. A lot of great information here. I'm sure I'll put it to use this weekend for the Florida Derby. And with that, guys, it's time for the final segment on this final show of the season here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, our podcast. I'm going to turn it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports and Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Vegas to find out what their complimentary play on the card is this week. Victor, I know you're going to do a total. Andy, what's your complimentary play look like either in the NBA or on the Final Four card? I've been looking at all four of these teams. And to be totally straightforward, I actually have futures on all four of these teams that I've collected throughout the course of the season. Ooh, nice. Uh, including 50 to 1 on your Miami Hurricanes. So that would be actually the best position, although they also have the toughest uh, uh, trip to the uh, final game, having to face the powerhouse Connecticut. So not going to do anything with that game. Uh, as far as the play, I, I mentioned before. Both Florida Atlantic and San Diego State have done more, more than expected. Neither of them was expected to make it uh, uh, certainly uh, past the uh, Sweet 16, if not the uh, round of 32. Uh, I've been impressed with uh, Florida Atlantic all season long. I can see this game, and I'm, maybe I'm somewhat surprised Although Florida Atlantic was the uh, the lower seed, at, I think they were eight or a nine as opposed to the five or San Diego State. 
At this point, these teams are pretty even as far as where they relate to both Miami and UConn. So I'm going to take the uh, current plus two that's available with Florida and Atlantic. And uh, if the line stays in that normal range, when I make the play, it'll be part money line and part uh, plus the uh, two points because uh, the only uh, thing that uh, there, there are not very many ways where I can cash a ticket with Florida Atlantic without winning. If the game falls two, I push. If San Diego State wins by two, and uh, if Florida, if, uh, uh, if San Diego State wins by one, then the plus two cashes and the uh, uh, money line uh, does not. Right now, I'm showing the money line in this game with um, Sa- uh, San Diego State uh, about a minus 130 to 135 favorite. The take back on Florida Atlantic is between 110 and plus 115. So I'll probably do a 60-40 ratio of the uh, uh, money line to the uh, to the plus the uh, two. At plus two and a, at, at plus one and a half, probably more like 60-40 the other way, taking the uh, 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 reverse it around. Taking the money line 60-40 if it's plus one and a half or less, do it probably 60-40 if it's plus two or more. Andy Isco writing the Conference USA Owls, the conference champion, with his complimentary play in the Final Four matchup this Saturday. Victor from King Creole Sports. Victor, what are you looking at for your complimentary play on our final show this season? Well, Mark, you know, we are working right now on the final playbook basketball newsletter of the season. Uh, I'm assuming it'll be out Thursday night, Friday at the latest. It's going to cover the last, oh, eight to ten days of the NBA regular season. And I already got all the stats, the ATS trends, the over-under trends, in place and ready to go. So with that said, we're going to be looking at the Tuesday night NBA schedule. That's going to be April the 4th. And we're going to be paying a visit to Motown as our Miami Heat will be invading the Detroit Pistons on Tuesday night. And we're going to be going under the total in that particular game. Now, I know we're going to be dealing with a low over-under line. Somewhere in the 215 to 220 range is where we project the total for this Miami at Detroit game. And you know what? That's okay by me because five out of the last six meetings of this series have indeed gone under the total. And with a really, really nice low average only 206.0 combined points per game last six meetings when Miami plays Detroit. So we're not going to worry too much about a fairly low over-under line. What we do know is that Miami has been one of the league's best under teams on the road this season. Let me see here, 14 and 23 over-under on the road. The Heat one and five over under on Tuesdays this year. They have gone five and 13 over under as road favorites. This season against the Central Division, they've gone 75% under the total. Miami's gone four, 12, and one over under against Central Division teams. And in their last six roles as non division road favorites, the Heat one and five over under. For the Pistons, heck, if you follow the Pistons, they were a great over team for the first couple of months of the season. Then the injuries set in, the trade set in, and they've actually been one of the NBA's best under teams now for the last two and a half months, the Detroit Pistons. 
In fact, their last 13 non-division home games have gone two overs, 11 unders. They've gone one and seven over under in a one-two rest situation versus conference opponents. So we're, again, anticipating somewhere in the 2-16 to 2-18 range, and we'll be playing the Heat and the Pistons under the total on Tuesday night in NBA action. Victor looks for a Motown slumber going under the total on Tuesday in the NBA for his complimentary play on the show on the card this week. And, guys, that's going to put the final wraps in this edition and the podcast for this season here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I want to remind our listeners to check out the playbooksports.com website where Victor and I will be posting some complimentary videos throughout the course of the summer for the NBA basketball playoffs. You want to check that out at playbooksports.com. And until July, when we come back with our playbook football preview guide magazine in hand and get ready to rock and roll for football, for Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com, Victor King from King Creole Sports from the Playbook Sports offices. This is Mark Lawrence once again reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.